on the mic. Get, get on the mic. Just get on the mic. Get, get on, on the mic. mic. It's called Pirate Radio. The Force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet. You know the difference between justice and punishment. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Where's that damn torpedo? Shreddy, Jim! Walk it alone! I will end you. Mike on the mic. This is called Pirate Radio. Welcome everybody to uh, Mike on the Mic on the Great Geek Refuge uh, Pirate Radio Network or the GGR Pirate Radio Network. The abbreviation always sounds better. My wait, name wait, is wait, Mike. Wait, Mike, Mike. Yes. Are there pirates? No, it's like pirate radio in the sense that I kind of broadcast wherever I possibly can. So I could take this eye patch off. You can, yes, in fact. What about the peg leg? Um, I think it looks good, so I say keep it. Oh, okay. And can you get this parrot off my shoulder? <laughs> I just thought of a Monty Python, Python <laughs> thing. I mean, I thought the parrot was dead, but you bought it anyways, so it's it's a whole thing. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my name's Troy David, and I'm here with Mike on the mic, and uh, I'm Mike's special guest, and I'm totally hijacking his show here. He's trying to actually do the introduction and uh, get this thing rolling, and uh, I'm just not cooperating in the least little bit. But that's even better, though, because it fits with the pirate radio thing. You're hijacking the podcast on pirate radio. It's it's a whole thing. Like Arr. it's come full circle. It's like meta, <laughs> kind of like Deadpool. It's like it's like breaking the fourth wall and stuff. It's great. Um, but there is a specific reason that I've got Troy here today. And actually, here let's let's elaborate on that a little bit. Um, our buddies at Comics Online have been nice enough to invite me up to hang out, kind of see what's going on. Kevin just yelled hi. You guys can't hear him, but he'll come on at some point too. Um, but Comics Online has been nice enough to invite me to come out, hang out with them at the Bungalow Ale House here in Woodbridge, Virginia, my hometown, which this baffles me because it was never Bungalow Ale House when I was a kid. It was Don Pablo's forever. Well, it's not anymore. No, it's not. And it's it's nicer now because, you know, it's not out of business like Don Pablo's was. So there is that. There is the positive here. There is a reason. For all of this madness today, I have Troy on because by far, of all the people that I've met in the comic book industry, I think Troy is the most knowledgeable. Troy works at my favorite comic book shop, which is uh, Flashback Comics here in Woodbridge, Virginia. Um, If this place had been around when I was a kid, well, one, I would have been broke. All of my allowance would have been spent here, uh, and I wouldn't have had to have gone to uh, Atlantic Collectibles over in uh, Tackett's Mill. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's how how far back it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. back into your childhood. Yeah, exactly. That exactly. was like what three years ago? Uh, not that young. Jeez, I'm like 33. <laughs> but Troy and I had a conversation last week, and I wanted to bring him on the podcast because I had mentioned to him that my favorite X Man of all time was Cyclops, which I've mentioned to you guys before. And we started talking about the turn that Cyclops had made recently, um, within the last like few years, and the character um, that he's turned into. And I thought, uh, I voiced my opinion, I said I really enjoyed it because for once he's finally the main character. And Troy had some really, really interesting points on that, kind of leading to why 
that happened, why Cyclops never really took the forefront, even though he was the leader of the X-Men. And Troy, I mean, go, go right ahead, jump right on in whenever well, you're ready. Now, you know, for, for those who don't know, uh, you know, if you're kind of new to the X-Men as a franchise, uh, Cyclops was introduced with the rest of the team uh, back in 1963. Uh, he was actually Slim Summers in his very first appearance. <laughs> uh, Professor Xavier was around in his wheelchair, leading the team kind of in secret, and uh, Cyclops was kind of the guy who called the shots in the field. And as time went on, and he took on a stronger leadership role, Professor Xavier pulled back, um, and, you know, we had Angel and Iceman, and Angel was certainly the more flamboyant of the guys. Um, Beast was our big, strong guy, and Jean Grey was our pretty girl. And uh, Iceman was visually interesting. Uh, I'm not really sure how you'd characterize the role that he played, but uh, Cyclops was really kind of understated in many ways, but uh, at the same time, I always characterize Cyclops as really the Captain America of the X-Men. Now, around about the same time, back in 1964, Captain America joined the Avengers, uh, coming out of uh, a hiatus, you know, he had been frozen, and when Captain America had time to sit around the mansion, the Avengers mansion and mope, he did a lot of that, he did a lot of moping. You know, oh, you know, I'm, I'm out of my time. I don't know if the world still needs me. All my friends are dead. Bucky died in an explosion. And then the Masters of Evil would attack, and Captain America would get his head in the game and call the shots and lead the team. And that was really the substance of the character. Uh, same thing for Cyclops. You know, let the Juggernaut attack the mansion. You know, bring out some Sentinels. Bring Magneto back. And Cyclops very quickly got his head in the game and pulled things together and led the team very effectively. And you had mentioned, too, um, you were saying that with him, at first that was kind of his character, the the tortured character, the Mm -hmm. I have this power but I can't ever take my glasses off, I can't really see somebody unless they're in like red silhouettes. And you know, and that's that's very characteristic of early Marvel characters, Uh, you know, having that uh, that kind of humanizing element, that thing that... uh, that, that grounds them. Uh, you know, Cyclops has this awesome superpower, but he's not fully in control of it. Uh, and uh, if he's not careful, the consequences of his power going out of control could, you know, leave somebody very badly injured. That was his thing. You know, that that was his thing. Never mind the, the whole the prejudice angle with the mutants that Stan Lee was building on. And uh, I think actually building on that rather effectively considering the time period, considering yeah. the allegories that he was making. Well, what was interesting, too, was with all of this, you never really saw Cyclops really do anything outside of his little realm of comfort, his little comfort zone. Then we started seeing new characters show up. With the giant size X-Men, you saw Colossus, you saw <laughs> Nightcrawler, you saw Wolverine, which, that was the point really that fascinated me, as you mentioned, with the emergence of Wolverine as, like, everybody's go-to it boy, that really kind of pushed some great stories that they had with Cyclops kind of to the back background, to the background. Well, you know, when they brought in giant-sized X-Men and introduced the new seven characters plus Cyclops, um, at first, I, I feel like the golden boy character was uh, Nightcrawler, who was certainly artist Dave Cockrum's favorite character. But 
the seeds of greatness were being laid for almost everybody. Uh, certainly Storm was beginning to take shape, take hold. Uh, Colossus was an interesting gentle giant kind of character. Um, and Wolverine. Wolverine really comes into his own when artist John Byrne comes on and co-collaborates with, uh, with uh, Chris Claremont. And certainly Claremont and uh, Byrne had worked together previously on uh, Iron Fist, on Marvel Team-Up. And uh, the X-Men really crystallized, I think, their, their teamwork, the, the, the way they, uh, they shaped their characters and their stories. Um, this, is like Cyclops, this is like late 70s, early 80s. Right, right, okay. yeah. Mid-late 70s. Yeah. Cyclops very quietly was taking some steps forward in development, but while he was taking very quiet steps forward, um, you know, the relationship with Jean Grey was definitely deepening and becoming more mature. And into the Hellfire Club saga... Uh, into the uh, X-Men numbered, you know, 120s and 130s. After a period of separation, having the two of them come back together and renew their romance, um, and and it just became more mature without being gratuitous. Um, Cyclops was definitely taking some steps forward. He was growing, but he was growing more slowly than the rapid-fire development of Wolverine. Um, and then... I think Storm also managed to leapfrog and take some very strong leading strides in the series. And it was just very easy for Cyclops, the longtime classic character. You know, he was a Lee Kirby character in comparison yeah. to these others. It was easy for his development to take a back seat. And, uh, and it became kind of apparent that he was a character that Chris Claremont wanted off the team. Uh, and after the death of Jean Grey... Cyclops left the team in 138, and that was it. The original characters were all gone, except for Angel. Yeah, Angel came back to the team. But, uh, you know, the death of Jean Grey, the departure of Scott Summers, um, Xavier's role was very different, and, and he had kind of a fractious relationship, you know, with Wolverine, certainly, occasionally clashing with Storm. Uh, he wanted to be a strong leader, but this group of characters, they were not the young, undeveloped teenagers that he had begun with. They were much closer to adult. They were much more grown, much more individual. <coughs> so uh, we, were, we were seeing something very, very different there. When Cyclops comes back to the team, and he does eventually come back, he has some time to explore another relationship, uh, this time with a character named uh, Alitas Foster. Uh, he comes back to the team and sort of falls by default back into the leadership role. But Storm had been that very capable leader, and this really set up the uh, the clash for leadership that these two characters would have later. Um, I, I think Cyclops is a is an underestimated and underutilized character until very much in the recent years. Yeah. AVX. You know, and actually, you know what? I'm going to back up. I'm, okay. I'm going to recant and back up a little bit. Um, because I think Grant Morrison set some good stuff up with Cyclops in uh, the pages of New X-Men during his run there. Uh, and we go, we go forward into... I'm skipping ahead a lot here, but you know the schism, yeah. uh, Utopia, and uh, and AVX, yeah, AVX, which, which was great. I mean, I for me, I caught bits and pieces of it as a kid, 
when they did the relaunch with Jim Lee in the 90s. And essentially, it was just X-Men. It was no longer the Uncanny X-Men. It was just the X-Men, and they did the blue and the gold team. That's when I really, really got into it. And I loved the character. I loved his powers. I loved what was going on. But I always was waiting for that moment where you were going to see something change. Something was going to happen. He was going to make a stand. And it never really happened. He just was the apple polisher, it seemed like. There there were definitely... uh, There was a long time period in the pages of X-Factor. Yeah. Um, And X-Factor... I want to say was skillfully handled by Louise Simonson. Um, I kind of feel, though, that Louise's hands were somewhat restricted in that she was forced to use the original five. Um, She really couldn't draw on the Beast's time as an Avenger and the development that he had had there. Um, There was a lot going on. And I'll say for myself at the time as a reader some of the new younger characters they were introducing like Rusty Collins and Skids uh, later Richter these characters weren't really connecting with me um, there there were some high points certainly in the series um, there uh, they, they went off and uh, went to another planet uh, a planet that actually had mutants and uh, there were also Celestials involved in the story um, and it was good I feel like a lot of the focus was also on Iceman, a growing Iceman, yeah. uh, further developing Archangel, uh, giving some more shine to Jean Grey. Uh, and uh, well, at this point, too, she was Madeline Pryor, wasn't she? No, well, no, there was confusion. no, no. We, we had established that Madeline Pryor was, in fact, a clone and that she and Jean Grey were two separate people uh, <coughs> and that there should be no confusion between the two. Yeah. Now, with this, I mean, there, there's such a rich history with the X-Men. With what they've done recently, with, with Schism, with uh, Aver, uh, X-Men AVX. vs. Avengers, what do you think of the, of the change in, in his character, of him being a, a solo leader now that Xavier's no longer around? Well, I, I, I feel like Cyclops became, in part, a plot device character. It was necessary for him to advance the plots that were being told at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the whole possession of the Phoenix Force, uh, you know, the fact that Scott's got one-fifth of the Phoenix power, and that's influencing his decisions. And I'm not really sure, even now, how I felt about that. Um, there were moments of his characterization I wasn't in agreement with, but then there were points where I felt like he made very solid points. But much like Civil War, Scott was hamstrung. It was necessary that he become the opposing leader to the unified X-Men Avengers team. So, you know, it was going to be Scott versus Captain America somehow. Yeah. Uh, you know, much like Civil War, it was going to be Iron Man versus Captain America. Yeah. There's no way out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the big thing with this, too, as our uh, as our food is arriving, so we'll go ahead and wrap this up so you can actually eat your dinner here. Uh, uh, well, that's not mine, show. so uh, we, we, got, we got more than a hot minute. Uh, of all of the changes that you've seen, and we talked about this last time, too, that to fit with a more modern audience, they're doing things to characters that are unorthodox. Like you're seeing with, as you mentioned, with Professor Xavier, he's no longer just the leader of this, of this team, you know, a, a way for young mutants to be taught and not be persecuted. He's now like a Machiavellian type behind the scenes puppet master. Yeah, and that's that's a very modern sensibility. I mean yeah. certainly I think there are aspects to Charles Xavier's character that weren't foreseen when Stan Lee 
told the Silver Age stories at the time that he told. That was simply how you resolved a story where a more modern writer now looks and finds ways to build in that, that Machiavellian element. Um, Scott has traveled around the world now and brought together young mutants and brought them together at their hidden school and you know taught them to use their powers and explained to them, hey, look, I don't want this to be a daily struggle for survival, but unfortunately that's what it is. I'm going to teach you how to take care of yourself. You're going to learn how to use your powers. You're going to learn how to defend yourself. And you're going to make decisions for yourself about what you're going to do. But I am going to try to help you, in, in my paraphrasing, in my words, I felt like Scott was trying to help these people not become villains. You know, this, this is how you don't become a villain. Yeah. Um, while simultaneously setting himself up to be the villain, for people to blame him for the death of Charles Xavier, for them to point to him and say, hey, you're doing wrong and we need to stop you, uh, Scott very much drew the attention and the focus on him and sort of alleviated the pressure on other characters. Of all of the changes that you've seen with these new modern sensibilities... And they've rebooted and they've redone and they've, you know, whether it's DC or Marvel, we've seen so many characterization changes. What's one that you're like, all right, this is different than what I'm used to, but I like where they're going with this. This is at least well done and I can appreciate where they're going with it. Oh, that's, um, that, that, that question is a show unto itself. <laughs> Honestly, um, I like the development of the X-Men's secondary characters. Um, not merely the longtime mainstays, uh, but uh, the continuing development of Emma Frost, the Stepford Cuckoos, uh, Kid Omega, uh, certainly uh, the characters who came to join Scott at the the Hidden uh, Institute, uh, who have now gone over to the Jean Grey School uh, yeah. because Scott leaving San is, Francisco, um, leaving Avalon. Well, yes, yes, yeah. and then which was right outside of San Francisco to go back to the Junior Grade School. Okay, you know, and so Scott has gone on to you know the next phase in his development as well, um, and uh, certainly uh, the growth of characters like uh, Sabretooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's 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 a whole lot. I mean, there's <laughs> okay. Well, I think what we'll do, I mean, like like I said, we opened a can of worms there, which is fine because we can always do another one of these. Oh, and yes, indeed. As, as a purveyor of comics, as uh, one who runs a comic book store. Um, and again, a collector. Is, yeah. And a collector. And I a very collector. much buy and read and collect my own comics as well. 126 a month. Wow. So, you know, I do more than just than hawk them on people and yeah. retail them. Yeah. Uh, I am also a fan of the medium, of the characters. Um, you know, I, I certainly have my favorite writers, my favorite artists, my favorite story arcs. I'm very big in the Secret War story at Marvel right now. So, uh, and uh, you know, I and I'm enjoying the the slice of X Men in Secret Wars, Eve for Extinction, X Men '92, Years of Future Past. Yeah. With so, and you mentioned Secret Wars. If you were to recommend a Right now, somebody's trying to get into this because right now we're we're seeing almost like a renaissance with comics. Yeah, it's, it's coming back again, and we're seeing the movies and we're seeing the TV shows, and we're seeing great books come out by great artists. If you could recommend one that's maybe flying under the radar to everybody, what's that one series that you would recommend to them? Oh, there's there's two actually, okay, and two. they are right. very much flying under the radar. Uh, one of them is Moon Knight. 
This book has been handled in a rapid succession by Warren Ellis, by Brian Wood, and by Colin Bunn. And if you're not checking this book out, you are missing some amazing comic. And the second is Nathan Edmondson's Black Widow. That book is just so good. It's, it's incredible. Phil Noto on the art. Uh, we are in the quote-unquote last days, so we're seeing these titles wrap themselves up before the Secret Wars event is done. But God's honest truth, if you've been missing out on Moon Knight, backtrack and pick that up. If you've been missing out on Black Widow, backtrack, get the singles, get the trades, whatever. But get into this. All right. Well, that, I mean, in, I just picked them up last week from you, and... Were you to ask me if I ever thought that one of my favorite books of all time, Fight Club, would ever translate into a sequel? First off, I'd say you were out of your mind. But secondly, as a comic book, this I, I'm, I'm amazed at this point. that I, I thought it was just going to be drivel. I thought it was just going to be a marketing ploy. It was just going to be a, a, a chance to make a quick buck. But I'm incredibly surprised at how good it actually is. Yeah. And I've been, I'm up to issue three, so as soon as issue four comes out... Um, I will be right back flashback to come pick it up. I, I'm really tempted to stop reading the comic and put it aside for later so that I can read the book Fight Club because I saw the film but I did yeah. not read the book. Well, Troy, um, I can guarantee you this. The next time I come up here, I will bring you my copy that you can borrow because the book outshines the movie in a lot of ways. Oh, my goodness. Easy enough. We can solve that problem of you not reading it very easily. And there we go. The number of novels that I have to read before I die is just increased by one. One more. <laughs> well, guys, this has been fun, as always. Thank you so much for listening. Again, let me give you the web address, www.greatgeekrefuge.com. But also, it wouldn't be appropriate if I didn't plug uh, my host tonight, and that's Comics Online. So that's going to be www.comicsonline.com. Um, for everything geek pop culture. Exactly. They got their own tagline. I know, Way better I know. than ours. It's, it's everything geek pop culture. I, I think it's because Kevin doesn't like to use the word and. Ant. <laughs> See, and, my, and our tagline at GGR is don't be a juice bag. So. What about a juice box? See, you could be a juice box, just don't be a juice bag. So oh, okay. Comes down to. But in again, the guys, hood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but again, guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we're at the Bungalow Ale House. Uh, hopefully, we'll be back more, and uh, you can hear more from us uh, there. Uh, but this is Mike signing out. Uh, for Mike on the mic. And this is Troy David eating french fries. Yes. Again, thanks to Troy David eating his french fries, eating his ribs. We're not going to keep him from his food any longer. You guys have a great night. This has been a GDR Pirate Radio Network production. Woohoo! No, it's your time for my